Well, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 12 this morning. <clears throat> Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 12. How would you describe yourself spiritually today? Would you describe yourself as moving forward in your relationship with God? Or maybe, or even if it is kind of a little bit slow, <laughs> that you would say, yeah, I'm moving forward. Or maybe you'd say today, no, no, I'm taking steps backward right now. If I was really honest, I'm kind of going in the wrong direction. Or maybe you'd say today, I'm in a holding pattern. Now, by holding pattern, I mean this. Like an airplane that's been circling the runway and for some reason cannot land where it needs to, God has a destination, a landing place for your life right now, a place that He wants you to be, but you're not going there for some reason. And it's not that you're going away from it, at least not yet, but you're not moving forward either. Well, today we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 6 that talks about being in a spiritual holding pattern. And I believe that many of us today, have, there have been times in our life when we're moving forward. There's been times in our life where maybe we were moving back. But right now, there may be many of us who right now, neither of those is happening. And in a sense, we'd say we're at kind of a spiritual standstill. Well, that probably means that God's been working in your life, but you haven't made a decision about whatever it is that He's speaking to you about. And that's just part of life, isn't it? But I want you to understand today that that's not where God wants us to stay. In fact, I need to share with you, it's not a place that we can stay for very long. At some point, we have to make, make a decision, don't we? We have to decide, I'm either going to press on and move forward, or I'm going to take steps backwards. Well, today I believe God's wanting to speak to some of us about that and give you His direction so that you'll no longer be standing still, but God's going to cause you to press forward in your walk with Him. The other reason we're looking at this passage today is because last time we talked about how we can be certain about our relationship with God. We can know for sure that we are a child of God. And, and I know that as people hear those kind of messages, they say, but aren't there passages in the Bible that teach that it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation. It's possible for a Christian to get to a point in their life where God would say, okay, I've had enough. My grace has even run out. You're out of here. You're out of the family. This is one of the passages that we're going to look at today, one of the primary, if not the main one, that many people appeal to to talk about that. And so I want us to look at that today to kind of hit it head on and for you to understand not only that that's not what I believe the Bible teaches, but also, you know, many times the problem we have as Christians is we study things because we're, we're kind of, you know, we might say, well, well, what do you think about this passage? Or what do you think about this? Or what do you, let's look at what it actually was written for. Not just kind of thinking uh, neat ideas or neat thoughts or neat theories, but why did God give us this part of His Word? He wrote this to us for a reason. And let's understand that reason together today. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, maybe you haven't uh, been coming to the Bible study that we're doing on Sunday mornings on the book of Hebrews, I want you to understand that the book of Hebrews seems to be written to a group of people who came from a mostly Jewish background. And the context, as you read the book, seems to indicate that they had been experiencing some intense persecution. As they had become more and more identified with Jesus Christ, they were beginning to face a lot of hardship over that. And as a result of that, many of them, maybe like some of you at some point in your life, have been in kind of a holding pattern with the Lord. There seems to be a, a period of time where they were struggling with a decision. 
I'm getting all this flack for following Jesus. So do I move forward with him and continue on the path that he's calling me to? Or do I just start to back down and maybe even begin to move in a different direction? Now, the writer of Hebrews, whom, by the way, we don't know for sure who the writer of Hebrews is. Uh, Many people traditionally have said it was the Apostle Paul. We don't know for sure. But the writer was led to share with them that no matter how difficult it might be to follow Jesus Christ, no one or nothing in our life can ever compare with following him. Not only that, he was led to share with them also the dangers of turning away from Jesus. And that's what we want to look at today. Are you in a holding pattern with Christ? And let's look in verses uh, 4 through 8, first of all, at the concern. Verses 4 through 8. And uh, by the way, verses 4 through 8 are kind of the, the, the part of the passage that many people struggle with the most. The concern. It says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now, I believe, as we look at the passage here, that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians, to people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And as he's finishing up chapter 5, and as he's beginning chapter 6, he addresses the fact that he believes that they should be moving forward in their walk with Christ. Now, as you look at the passage, it says in verse 11, he says, uh, listen, there's a lot in chapter 5, verse 11, that we want to say to you, but... But we can't share it with you because you've become kind of dull of hearing. You're not in a place right now where you can really respond to it. He says, you know, really, to be honest with you, you ought to be teachers by now. You've, you've learned enough about Christ that you ought to be able to help others learn about it. But he says, really, you kind of need somebody to teach you. You ought to be eating solid food, but you're still kind of like babies. You still need milk. You ought to be mature, but you, you still need to be kind of trained and equipped a little bit more in walking with God. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, he begins to lead into what we're looking at. He says, let us press on to maturity. He's telling them, look, you're kind of at this holding point, and I want to challenge you to move forward. And in verse 3, he he says to them, I'd like to help you do that. This will do if God permits. I'd like to be able to help you to move forward. But before I can, beginning in verse 4, he says, as a spiritual leader in your life, I need to address this holding pattern that you're in. It, it, it bothers me to see this in your life. And, and he says, I have to be honest with you, and I have to share something very sobering with you. And he shares with them that sometimes when people are holding back from pressing on with Christ, like they were at this moment, it's because they really do not have a personal relationship with Christ in the first place. And getting that close to God giving every appearance that we know God, that we serve Him, but not truly having a relationship with Him. Listen, friends, especially if you're a member of New Hope or you're a regular attender of any church family or this church family, he says it's possible for somebody to get really, really close and involved in the things of Christ, but not really have a relationship with Christ. That's a very real but dangerous possibility. He says... 
those who have been enlightened. Now, that word means to, to, that, that, that they've been brought to light. So God's truth has been brought to light in their life. God has shined His light in their darkness. The idea doesn't really care, the word doesn't really carry the idea of a response as much as it does of an effect. It's more of an intellectual impact than a spiritual response. There had been a time in their life where they lived without God. They didn't know about God's truth. But now that they've been hearing about God, God shined His light into their life, and they've seen some things that they had never seen before. He says they had tasted of the heavenly gift. Now, that heavenly gift could be Christ. It could be salvation. It could be Christ's spirit or really all those things go together with salvation. Uh, but he says they had tasted the heavenly gift. They had tasted of a relationship with Christ. This person had sampled that, had been exposed to that, but it doesn't appear as we look at this passage that they had received it. He says they had been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he uses the word partaker, that sounds kind of strong, doesn't it? It sounds like he's kind of speaking of a Christian. However, the word here that's used is, is lighter than the word that we usually think when we think about Christians. We think of the word fellowship, don't we? Fellowship means to be on the same page with Christ and with one another. This word means more of an initial contact than it does of close relationship. He says they've tasted the good word of God. They've tasted the powers of the age to come. This person had, had heard God's word. They had been exposed to Christ's truth. They had seen God working mightily in other people's lives. Now, while the wording that's used here is strong, as we see, and this person has obviously been exposed greatly to Christ. I mean, they've, 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 they've had a great opportunity to hear about Christ and be exposed to Him. In fact, the word that's used for enlightened there that I mentioned earlier, there early in verse 4, that, um, that word enlightened actually later in church history was used to refer to baptism. The word that's used for tasted there in verse 4 as well uh, was a word that was later used in reference to communion. So it may be that this person had made some profession of faith, had been baptized, had started participating in the Lord's Supper, but one author has said, in spite of all that, none of the normal New Testament terminology for salvation is used here. The wording seems to indicate that this person came very close to the things of the Lord and then they turned away. Is it possible for a person to be fully exposed to Christ, to be a, to be a part of a church family, even to join a church family, even to be baptized, even to be a, a teacher or a leader in a church? Is it possible for a person like that to, to have, have that experience but not truly know Christ as their Savior? This uh, wording here is, is so serious that some have taken this to refer to Christians. Now, based on what we learned last time, it can't refer to a Christian losing their salvation. It's possible that it refers to a Christian and that it, what he's talking about here is a Christian who would lose their reward that God wanted to give them in the Christian life. However, I believe that the rest of the wording here is so strong that it cannot be referring to a true believer in Jesus Christ. It says that this person got to a point where they could not, it was impossible to renew them to repentance. Does that sound like a child of God? Is it, is it a child of God? Is that somebody that's God's spirit is living in their life where it's impossible for them to respond to God? 
It says that they crucified Christ again and put him to an open shame. Is it possible for a true child of God to say, if I had been there on the day that Jesus hung on the cross, I would have been clapping, I would have been saying, crucify him, crucify him. Does that sound like a child of God? It says this person is worthless, and that's not language used of a Christian in the sense of, of, of there's nothing valuable being able to come out of their life. They're, they're right about to be cursed is the language that's used here. It says that they're right on the edge of judgment. Does that sound like a Christian? No. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it talks about that this person's end result is they end up being burned. It's, it's a word, again, used for judgment. Now, Christians, we are going to be held accountable before God for the way that we've lived our life, for the way that we've used the resources He's given us. But the Bible says that we'll never face the wrath and the judgment of God in that sense. So this is what I think is being said. While the writer is clearly speaking to Christians, he refers to the condition of someone who is not. But they got awfully close and sure did look like it for a while. They've been on the inside. They've seen what Christ was all about, and that wasn't enough to change their heart. And he says they're probably the hardest person to ever bring back to a point of decision for Christ. So I believe the concern he has, the warning is this. When you're in a holding pattern, listen, don't miss this. If you're at a place spiritually in your life where you'd say, I, I, I'm not moving forward, but I'm not moving back, when you're in that point in your life, it's not real clear which way you're going to go, is it? And it could be possible, no matter how involved you are, that you're not truly a child of God. Now, we'll see here in just a minute. He's going to say, I think you are. <laughs> he says, I want you to know that, that uh, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to realize that if you're not moving forward with Christ, it's possible that you're not a child of God. We need to cover that together. But he's going to say, I really think that you are. And so he's saying, this isn't you, is it? You're not going to turn back, are you? Not because he's saying they're going to lose their salvation, but because they're going to show that they never knew Christ in the first place. Listen, there's plenty of evidence in the New Testament that we can be part of God's people, but not truly be one of his people. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19, are some of the verses that talk about that. So here's what the writer says. He says, I'm concerned. He's talking to these people he cares about. He says, I'm concerned. You're not moving forward with Christ. And one of the things that I have to address with you is, if you're not willing to move forward with Christ, you've got to at least stop and pause and ask yourself this question. Am I truly one of God's children if I'm not willing to move forward with Him? Now, what about you? Is the reason that you're not moving forward with Christ because honestly, even though you've gotten super involved in God's work, you're not sure that you are His child. You're not sure that you've ever received Christ as your personal Savior. And my friend, that ought to concern you for several reasons. Number one, it ought to concern you because it keeps you from moving forward. God has so much He wants to do in your life, but that begins by being born into His family. And so He's saying to them, listen, i got some things I want to say to you about moving forward, but before you can move forward, do you know Christ? Are you sure that you've experienced Him? And He's challenging people that have been super involved. He says, listen, I don't want to insult you. I know you're really involved in your church family and you give the appearance of, of, of being involved in the things of God, but it's possible that a person could get involved in all those things but truly still not know Christ. And before you can move on, you've got to deal with that. He also 
tells us it's important because it has eternal implications. If, if you're here today and you say, I'm not moving forward with the Lord, I need to think about my relationship with Christ, that has eternal implications, doesn't it? It has to do with where I'm going to spend forever. But also, and don't miss this, because apparently, according to these verses, if a person doesn't know Christ and they stay in that position for too long, it is possible for us to get to a point in our lives where we grow cold to responding to God. Do you hear that, my friend? If I'm not moving forward in my relationship with God, the concern of the writer here that God led to, to write to these Christians was, if I'm not moving forward in my relationship with God, then I need to ask myself, do I truly know Christ? And if I'm not sure about that, then I need to deal with that because he said it's possible for a person to get to a point where they say, look, I'm turning away from Christ. I've been stuck, but now I'm turning away and it's almost impossible. He even says, some people get to the point, it's impossible to ever bring them back. It breaks my heart to think about people that have come to New Hope Community Church. And, they, and, they've, and they've investigated Christ, and they've tried to learn about Him, and they've tried to understand who He is, and, and, and they've participated in a lot of different ways, but ultimately they got to a point where they said, I'm not sure that I know Christ, and I'm turning away, and it's very hard to bring that person back, isn't it? Once a person has seen all that God is and understands what He's about, and then they turn away, it's very, very difficult. In fact, sometimes we can get to a point where if we say no to God enough, that we can't turn back. Not because God quits calling, but because we can't respond. We've grown too cold. So he's concerned about that. He said, I want you to think about that. If you're stuck with Christ, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I know him in the first place? But then I want you to hear the heart of a pastor here. He gives them the care in verse 9. He shares some concern in verses 4 through 8. You've got to think about this especially, he says, people who've been super involved in God's work, don't take for granted that you're a child of God. Ask yourself that question. But then he says in verse 9, he says this, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saint, to the saints. I appreciate the heart of God's servant here. Hey, it's difficult, isn't it, to confront people that you love. And he gives them this challenge. He says, hey, listen, if you're not moving forward with Christ as, as God's servant, I have to cover this base with you. I have, to, I have to cause you to consider, do you truly know him in verses 4 through 8? But then he says, but I want to be clear. It's not because I think low of you or because I, because I doubt that in any way. In fact, he calls them beloved. The root word of that, uh, of that word is the word agape. It's the word that, that's used of God's love in the New Testament. He's telling them, I love you dearly. I love you with all my heart. And, and this is the only place in the book of Hebrews that he uses that term. It sounds like somebody who's trying to, uh, what is it, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down <laughs> in the most delightful, okay, I won't sing the whole song. But he's giving them, hey guys, I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you. I think we're on the same page here, but, but as your pastor, as your, as, your, as your leader in your life, a spiritual leader in your life, I need to kind of challenge you with this. Just because you are a part of a church does not mean that things are all right. You need to know that you're right with Christ. You need to be very careful about ignoring that because if you keep ignoring it, you can get to a point where it just doesn't matter anymore and you ultimately turn away from Christ and never give your life to Him. But he says, but beloved, I'm convinced of better things of you. 
Did you notice the shift in the pronouns there? Before he was talking about those who have been enlightened. And he says, when they have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again. Now he says, we're convinced of better things of you. It sounds like he's saying to them, uh, you know, I'm sharing this possibility with you, but I want you to know, I don't think that's you. I don't think that's where you are. I see you as different. When we look at you, he says, we see more the evidence of salvation. The person in verses 4 through 8 got close, but they, they never truly became a Christian. Even though we're sharing these things with you, we want you to know we see good things in you. By the way, I just need to share with you, I, I do believe that God gives spiritual leaders authority. But that doesn't give them the right to be mean, does it? <laughs> if they are truly a servant of God, they're going to show grace. They're going to show compassion. They're going to show kindness even in a challenge or even in correction. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and following says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. God calls spiritual leaders to tell the truth, to speak to people, to share truth with people. But they don't have to be ugly about it, do they? And here is God's servant saying, I love you, I'm for you, I'm hoping this is not the case, but I had to cover that with you. And he says, by the way, I don't think you're slacking. He says, um, uh, first of all, it doesn't matter whether I do or not, God notices that you've been working pretty hard. God, just the fact that I'm covering this with you doesn't mean that I think you're slacking. It just means I know you're kind of at a stuck place. And we need to think about that. They had served the Lord, and they still were serving God. He says in verse 10, For God is not unjust, even if I don't notice it or recognize it. God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He says, I can see that you've been serving God, but I still need to give you this caution. Is it possible to be serving the Lord, but to be at a standstill spiritually in your life? Is it? Absolutely it is. In fact, sometimes that's the place when it happens the most, isn't it? Don't we get tired? We get tired physically. We get tired emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And that's why we need times to recoup our strength, to regain our strength. We need to pace ourselves and not do too much. Now, what do I mean by too much? By too much, I mean not more than God asks you to do. That's why as your pastor, I want to encourage you to be involved in at least one Bible study, to be involved in at least one area of ministry or service to the Lord, but not much more than that. Some people can handle a lot on their plate, but most of us have a limit, have a certain amount that's kind of our saturation point. And we need to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be involved in? Because that's where the strength is. They were struggling. Why were they at this point in their own life? It sounds like they were still serving. Well, we find out as we look at the book of Hebrews that the situation they were serving in was pretty difficult. And maybe they felt like sometimes they weren't making any progress. You ever felt like that? You're serving the Lord and you feel like you're not making any progress. You're feeling like you're not making any, uh, any headway. And he encourages them. He says, God sees what you're doing. He's not unjust. You keep pressing on in your walk with Him and your service for Him. He will not overlook that. He will not forget that. Maybe you're serving the Lord here today 
And you'd say, I wonder if anybody even notices. I wonder if anybody even cares all the hard work that I'm doing for God. Well, I hope somebody does. I hope that we're a church family that thanks people for their ministry. I, I want to challenge you children. If you've got a Sunday school teacher that's there every week and is teaching you God's Word, would you just think about it before you go to Sunday school that day? And would you say, you know what, this lady or this guy, this adult, they, they came earlier today and they got set up so that they could teach me. They studied throughout this week. They're not in a Bible study that they could be in themselves receiving because they're doing something for me. And would you thank them for that? Awana leaders, youth leaders, or people who sing in the choir. If somebody sang a song today and it was a blessing to your heart, would you just say, I appreciate it? Because all these people have practiced a lot before this day happened. Would you just say to them, I appreciate what you've done because that song, just the way that you sang it, ministered to my heart. The Bible says that it's appropriate for us to, to encourage one another, to say you're doing good. You, that was a blessing to my heart. First, First Thessalonians 5.12 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And then in verse 13, And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. When's the last time you told somebody who made a difference in your life spiritually, I appreciate you? I thank you for doing that. I appreciate you sharing your testimony with me. Or I appreciate you picking me up for youth group. Or I appreciate whatever it is. And he tells them here, you know what? Whether I recognize it, whether anybody ever recognizes it, God recognizes your work. He is not unjust. God knows what you're doing. And he tells them to hang in there, to keep working hard. They're getting discouraged because the work's gotten hard. And he said, listen, don't get discouraged. Don't back down. Keep pressing forward with Christ and the work he's called you to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I love this verse. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know what that verse says? That verse, that verse says, You don't budge an inch. If you're doing God's work and you know God's spoken to you, you know God's doing His work through your life and you get discouraged or you're going through challenges or you're going through hard times, the Bible says you don't back down. You hear the challenge? God's saying to His servants, you're doing good, you're doing well, keep pressing on. Maybe you're here today and you feel like backing down. You feel like giving up. You feel like throwing in a towel. Can I just encourage you to do something that God's taught me in my own life? Maybe you don't know all the reasons that you're discouraged. Maybe you need to think about that. Maybe you need to pull aside and pray through that a little bit. But before you make any decisions, would you make one decision? I will not back down. Amen. If God has told me to do something, I will keep pressing on. Would you just begin to realize that the enemy loves to slap around God's servants? And many times we're all too uh, easy in his hands. We allow him to do that. And the Bible says you be steadfast, you be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want to encourage us to be a church family that does not back down easily. That we're, there, we persevere through hard times. That if we know God's told us to do something, we're going to trust Him to bring that, to bring that about. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, wake up out there. He tells them to keep pressing on because God sees the work that you're doing. Keep moving forward. And then the challenge comes in verses 11 and 12. You know, you kind of hear God's servant here. It's the, it's the kind of thing that a spiritual leader should cover. Here they are. They're kind of at, a, at a, a pause in their spiritual walk. And so he says to them, 
I, I need to share my concern with you. It's possible, if that's where you are, that you've never truly come to know Christ. And if you haven't, you need to deal with that. Because if you keep hanging around the things of the Lord and you keep allowing Him to speak to your heart, but you never respond to Him, there can be a point where you may never respond to Him. Hey, but He says, I want you to know, I don't think that about you. I just need to cover it with you, but I don't think that about you. You know what? I see you serving. I see you doing the best you can to walk with Jesus. I just see that you're kind of at a point where you're not moving forward, and I need to talk to you about that. And that's where he gives them the challenge in verses 11 through 12. He says, and we desire, listen to this, the heart here. We desire that each one of you, we keep hearing that in God's word, don't we? God is concerned about every single one of us. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Several times in the book of Hebrews, we see the challenge similar to verses 4 through 8. He says, double check yourselves. Are you truly a follower of Christ? But also throughout the book, we see another challenge like we find here. If I am a child of God, God is telling me, keep pressing on. Because God has a very full and satisfying plan for your life. And listen to the heart of God's servant. I don't want you to miss one bit of that. I don't want you to miss any part of God's goodness for you. He tells them, our desire is not that you, just that you be saved, not just that you enter into a relationship with Christ, but our desire is that each one of you keep pressing on so that each one will experience the full assurance of hope until the end. Do you hear what he's saying? He's issuing a challenge. He wants every single person in that church family to eagerly pursue God's plan for their life until their life is over or until Jesus comes back. My friends, that's my heart for you here at New Hope. I want to see every... Listen to me, friend. You're here today and you say, you know what, I know there's a church family here and I'm just kind of watching in. If you're here today, can I say to you, if you've been here for the last six years, if today is your first Sunday... We care just as much about every single one. We want everybody here today to have all that God wants for you. You are not an outsider. You are just as important as somebody that's been here from the beginning. The reality is, though, that not all of us are going to keep pressing on until the end. That's just the reality. Probably that's going to be the case. But as a spiritual leader, that's what we shoot for, isn't it? That's what we long for. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for, that everybody would have a part of what God's doing. You know why? We don't want you to miss it, partly for your benefit. You know, you could say, uh, you know, what's it matter? You know, God saved me. I'm a child of God. What's it matter whether I follow His plan and purpose for the rest of my life? Well, we kind of think of things in abstract terms. But you know what? A few years ago, God began to speak to my heart about starting a church in New York. And nobody knew about that but me and God. And I want to tell you, I came close to saying, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. But I thank God that I didn't. I look at all of you. Yeah, there's struggles. Yeah, there's difficulty. What's not? Every part of life is difficult to some degree. But what better than to see God moving and working and to be a part of His work in this world? Amen? Right now, it might just be a thought in your mind. But right now, whatever God's wanting to do in your heart, It's just between you and Him right now. 
but it might be something that's going to touch a lot of people's lives. And by the way, you're going to have a whole lot of fun doing it with him. So this morning, we don't want anybody to miss out for your benefit and for ours. It won't be the same without you. This church family, if God's calling you to be a part of this church family and what he's doing here through this church, it literally will not be the same without you. God knows your part, your contribution, things that you're going to say, struggles that you're going to go through, encouragement that you're going to give, passages that you're going to teach, classes that you're going to start, ministries that you're going to be involved in, that it will not be the same without you. We want each one of you to be a part of that. You know what's encouraging this morning? All throughout history, God's plan has been accomplished. (laughs) I'm so glad it's not dependent on me. If I get up this morning and I preach a terrible message, God's still going to keep doing His work. If I get up this morning and I just hit a home run with exactly what God wanted me to say, He's still going to keep doing His work. (laughs) I'm freed up. I mean, there's no pressure on me. I can't carry all you guys on my shoulders. I can't carry that responsibility. And you can't carry me. God is going to do His work. But I'd just like to be a part of it, wouldn't you? He's going to do it with or without me. I'd sure like to be a part of it. In verses 4 through 8, it says His main work is to rescue people from sin and give them a personal relationship with Him. I'd like to be a part of that. I thank God that I've been a part of that, that I've received Christ as my Savior. And then He says, for the rest of my life, He's got more plans. And He doesn't want me to miss out on that. You've heard me say before, how many people are too many to be blessed? How many? All right, somebody grab the key, lock the door. Nobody else is coming in. That's enough changed lives. We don't want to see anybody else praising God, anybody else being delivered from problems and difficulties, from finding God's purpose for their life. That's enough. Can't handle any more. Oh, man, I never get over it. Do you? I love, I love following up with people who are making decisions for Christ or becoming a part of this church family. I love hearing them say how they came to Christ, how God's changed their life, how they're excited about what God's doing in their heart at New Hope, how how they're sensing that God has further plans and purpose for their life. And I want to tell you right now, there are people sitting in this room, you don't even know what God's got in store for you over the next five years. I don't know either. You're going to look up in five years and you're going to say, my goodness. I just walked in those doors one day thinking I might could find out a little something about God, and here I am. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) And that's you, isn't it? It's going to be you. You see what he says there? It's throughout the book of Hebrews. He says, I want you to have the full assurance of hope until the end. I want you to press on with Christ. No doubts, no confusing, no wondering where I stand with God. I know I'm God's child, and I know we're walking together so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, and here's the point, inherit the promises. See, the book of Hebrews is actually based heavily in the Old Testament. And so he's pulling a lot from that. These, remember what I said? These are primarily Jewish people, from what we can tell. And so he's pulling from that foundation of the Old Testament. He's saying throughout history, God has made some promises. God is going to do some pretty amazing things. And you get to be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? And we don't want one of you to miss out on it. That's the challenge. Are you missing out? Will you stand idly by while others continue to, to march on with Christ, continue to move forward with Christ. And he said, I don't want that to happen for you. It either is an indicator that you don't know him, or it's a, it's a place where you're going to miss out on the blessings that he wants to give for your life. 
So either way, we need to be challenged, don't we? My friend today, do you know Christ? Do you know Him as your personal Savior? If you don't, it's kind of dangerous to continue staying in that place where I say no, no, no. Listen, please, for just a moment. One of the things that God's really used in my life is a concern that I would ever get over hearing from God. (laughs) That's why when an invitation happens, if God's speaking to me, I try to step out on the first half note because I know how I am. God's speaking to my heart and I wait, then I'll wait till later. I want to make the move when God speaks. I don't want to ever get used to saying no to God. you hear that? Is that your desire? I know I do. I know I struggle. I know I'm going to fail, so we can't get it perfect. Let's get over that. We know that's true. But God, I don't want to get used to saying no to you because your word seems to indicate that I get more and more used to it. Have you found that to be true? The first time that God speaks, isn't it a little bit more powerful? And then the next time he says no, well, you know, it's kind of like my kids. They used to think that what I said was all true. I mean, mean, not that I lie. They used to to think that what what I said goes. Let's put it that way. But then as you grow up, as children, what do we do? We find out maybe there's other options. Don't we do that? Dad says this, but, you know, maybe this. That's the way we are. That's the way we get with God, too. Let's don't ever get to that point. From the very first that he speaks to you, would you just say, okay, Lord, what you say is true. My friend, are you that person that's God's spoken to you? He's continuing to speak to you, but you keep kind of getting used to Sunday by Sunday, week by week, he's speaking, but more and more you're kind of getting used to saying no. Would that bother you today? God, I don't want to get so far away that I'll no longer listen to your voice. If you're not a child of God today, the Bible says, you know, the the book of Hebrews, you hear throughout the book of Hebrews, today's the day. Now's the time. If God's speaking to you, now is the time to do something about it. I know what runs through our head next week. You know, I got my boyfriend here today. I don't want to make a decision in front of him. I'll wait till next time. Then next week I'm sick. And then next week, you know, the the, the sermon's on something totally different. And all, you know, all the factors change. There'll never be a day quite like this one. Can I just share with you? There's not many times where you've ever heard a message or you'll probably ever hear a message out of Hebrews chapter 6. Many pastors avoid this passage. Kind of tough for me to deal with. Probably one of the hardest sermon preparations I've had in quite a while. So I'm probably not going to mess with it again for another five years. (laughs) If God's speaking to you, maybe this is the passage that you needed to hear. God gives us His Word for a reason. It's strong. It's heavy, isn't it? But it might be exactly what you need to hear. Maybe today's the day for you to give your life to Christ. If you're a Christian here today, do you hear the heart of God? He's saying, make sure you're my child. But if you are, don't just settle for that. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing. That's an eternally life-changing kind of thing. But then there's more. God wants to give you the life for the rest of this life that he intended for you to live. Are you accepting less than best? Are you stopping short? He says, listen, let's press on to maturity. God God created you to be something. Let's keep going towards that. Is that what you're doing today? 
Are you kind of just accepting little morsels, little tidbits, little parts? Is a little bit of blessing enough for you? Or do you want everything that God has intended for your life? Are you hungry for that today? Is God drawing you to that today? Christian, do you realize that God's plan and purpose through your life is going to change mine? You know, sometimes I don't mind me hurting. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sometimes I don't mind saying no to God's plan if it just hurts me, but when I know it hurts you, it bothers me more. Maybe if that helps you today, you saying no to God affects me. I'm going to miss some things about the Lord that I need to see through you. Would God just speak to your heart that this church will never be the same unless you are all that God wants you to be? Are you making that contribution? Are you pressing forward? Is God calling you to that today? Let's bow together.